Hello and welcome back to the Arch Conservatives Podcast and another episode of Radio Free Athens. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief J. Thomas Perdue. I'm sitting here with Reed Ferguson and Boris Abreu, uh, other editors for ArchCon. We'll hear from them in a moment. Um, but this is our first episode of the new semester. I don't think that any of you have heard from us since December uh, when Sarah was on to discover uh, to discuss uh, Students for Life. Um, we're here to talk about things within the right that we've noticed, or that I've noticed at least, uh, that could be described as missed opportunities or maybe intentionally missed opportunities. But um, Tucker Carlson uh, did a monologue on his Fox News show earlier this month. I think it was January the 2nd. And um, in it, he... Being frank, he did it as a response to Mitt Romney's essay about Donald Trump. He didn't like that and used the opportunity to decry all of our leaders as mercenaries who do not have American interests at heart. And he blamed the market and other uh, external forces on some of our problems that include but are not limited to the collapse of the American family. He talked about this and other things that made me really think, wow, what a bummer. This We've gone from mourning in America to now we're ruled by a class of diamond dog mercenaries. And it made me wonder where all the happy warriors have gone. Is it such a out-of-left-field proposition that the right could actually <clears throat> run and succeed on the fact that things are pretty good in America. That's not to say that we shouldn't confront our problems or that the problems that Tucker outlines are not real and concerning, but when you use language that is similar to what Democrats say about guns, oh, they don't care if our children die, or they're uh, coming to control your bodies, or we need to do something, act now, and imply all of these things that we need to do and the American dream or constitutionalism or what have you be damned, it is a bit jarring to me and I don't understand why we don't just let the Nancy Pelosi's corner the market on the doom and gloom. Um, so uh, do you guys think that I'm being unfair in saying that? I mean, am I, am I, you know, am I willfully ignorant of our problems or what? Um, I think... Like you said, there the problems do exist, and I think where we kind of do come together with someone like Tucker is that we agree that there there are problems with the family unit, with um, with male female relations, um, but we disagree on what the cause is and what the solution is. And that is kind of almost the same problem we have with discourse between Republicans and Democrats in general, except we're seeing that fraction within the Republican Party. Yeah, I find this kind of honestly, frankly, dangerous for the movement in the sense that, you, like you said, it's, it's, it's that split. It's that you're looking at it from the perspective, like Jay Thomas said, you've got, you know, we have taken the language that we love to decry and kind of made it our own, um, which in and of itself is hypocritical. But I agree in the sense that we agree on the problems, but the I'm not sure if we agree on the solutions and the way to go about them. Um, you know, 
uh, I would consider that the GOP has fallen a little too far into the populist wing of politics, and any any casual observer should find that dangerous. Um, you know, if you look at Europe and populism, that's become a real problem for their political establishment. And this is not to say that the establishment is perfect; it's far from it. But I don't. I agree with Tucker, but I also disagree with him in the way to go about it. Um, you know, I've seen in my own opinions, like, you know, the family unit, there's problems in the family unit. There's, you know, chronic single motherhood, single fatherhood problems in the community. But, you know, to say that, you know, like they don't care if our children die, that's a little pushing, pushing them up a little far, I think, from our, from my point of view. I think I took probably about three there were, there were about three instances in his speech where he kind of lost me um, because I think it I think that this family unit is probably one of the most important and least talked about uh, issues facing day-to-day life in the United States um, and Tucker seems like he blames market forces and apathy for these things um, he he calls the he calls the stock market a tool, um, and he warns against uh, sort of free trade fundamentalist worship of the stock market. Um, and I thought that was funny because I don't think anyone, you know, claims to worship the stock market. First of all, I mean, obviously he's being hyperbolic, but I, I listened to uh, Jonah Goldberg's podcast this past week, and he talked about that statement and. He, he wonders if Tucker would use the same language when talking about the Second Amendment. Obviously, guns are literally tools, but that's not what the Second Amendment about is about. That's, the Second Amendment is about the right to keep and bear arms. Obviously, the exchanges that make up the free market are just that. They are literally conversations, and maybe you can define that as a tool. But the principle that free and open exchange is generally and ultimately the best way to freedom and prosperity, then calling it a tool seems just as sophomoric as saying, you know, why do you love guns so much? They're just pieces of metal. Um, uh, another thing that he said uh, was about uh, our leaders and the the fact that they don't care about us contributes to our unhappiness. Um, and, you know, more on unhappiness, whatever, later. But if I, I just think, and I'll get you guys' thoughts on this, I, I think that if you're looking for happiness, or I think the word he actually probably should have used is fulfillment um, among our leaders and among the way that they vote, you're going to be searching until you die. Mm-hmm. I mean... Go ahead. <laughs> um, the conservative message really shouldn't be about how how political leaders can make your life better. It needs to be less of that because that is kind of a leftist position. Um, and Tucker Carlson does have some kind of populist left-leaning positions on economics. But the conservative message should be more what can you do to better your life? What can, and not just in terms of economics, what can you do in your community? What can you do in your family? Look inward before you look to society, look to society to blame. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, shouting upwards, Hey guys, we're unhappy and unhealthy, you know, 
That is the way to live a miserable life. Think, exactly. Mm-hmm. Think about what you can do, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, Reed, and, and um, you know, having spent some time up there, I mean, the leaders, they are, yes, they are representatives of the people, but they are not there to always listen to every single thing that people want. Um, they're there to do what's best, what they believe what's best for the country. And like you said, if you're going to go looking for happiness through political leaders, you're going to be searching for a long time because politics is an extremely complex game. And, you know, there are so many issues to juggle. And if we're going to sit here and depend upon our leaders, we're just we're no better than like the people we claim to fight. I mean, mm-hmm. fulfillment doesn't come from, you know, me reading Twitter and going, oh, look, look what. XYZ figure said, I, I like that. I'm going to make that part of my, my ethos. I mean, yes, I can like it, but it's ultimately up to me to decide what makes me happy. It's not up to, you know, whatever Trump tweets about hamburgers and Clemson football players. I mean, <laughs> sure, however entertaining that is. However, yes, like, <laughs> is. I, like, I love the entertainment aspect, and, you know, politics is a circus right now, but inner fulfillment and kind of how we view our leaders should view our leaders with a healthy dose of skepticism, I think. Um, but also, you know, introspection, I think, is important to finding that kind of personal fulfillment. And I think looking towards our leaders is a s- sort of step in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And I'll, ta- I'll take one more shot at Tucker and then I'll, tell- and then I'll talk about what he got right. Um, he talks about happiness as the ultimate American promise. And he, he almost says that verbatim, and he says that things like uh, freedom and uh, self-control and, uh, and, uh, and purpose, I think, are, are ingredients to happiness, which would sound okay, but I don't think that's true. I think that happiness is sort of a byproduct of the thing. I think that things like purpose... Uh, what you determine in your life is uh, is meaningful, is what gets you out of bed in the morning. I think that self-control is righteous because we have so many opportunities to uh, eat like gluttons and act like vandals to each other. And <clears throat> what was the third thing? Freedom. I think that freedom is something that we need to be reminded uh, that we need to always be prepared to fight for. Um and I think that if we are able to do those things, then uh, then we'll have plenty of happiness that sort of permeates our days, as my uh, upstairs neighbors uh, ex- express their displeasure with me. Um, but uh, I, I, that leads me to my ultimate point, which is, you know, where have where did this come from? This wasn't always the optimistic, happy Republican Party. Uh, of Ronald Reagan and of Barry Goldwater and even of you know George Bush, uh, we ha- it, part of the conservative ethic I think is being a little bit cynical and being uh, grounded in reality of you know your problems and not you know shying away from the monster under the bed. If you listen to Reagan's uh, time for choosing speech, he is very. Uh, uh, he, he accuses uh, people like Lyndon Johnson of uh, of not doing enough to fight America's enemies and America's problems. But at the same time, he calls upon the better nature of Americans and reminds us of the way that we overcame uh, the monarchy and fascism. And he spoke in the middle of the uh, the Cold War. We were able to overcome that, too. Um, and I wonder, 
where that's gone. I wonder when it became so uh, so negative all the time, and so you know you can't trust anybody that you elect, except for apparently Donald Trump if you're if you're Tucker Carlson. I don't know. I think um, when we look back at like you know the founding documents, it's outlined you know the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. I mean. For me, it depends on how you define that happiness, and like, you and, know. It, and that's a key point is pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, not you've got the Bill of Rights and those three things. That's all you're promised. Yeah, you're not promising. You're not given anything mm-hmm. in society. You know, you are born the way you are. You can't change that. You can work to change that, but I mean, you can't just say like political leaders give me happiness. Like, it, sure, well, like if you know if we get like legislative victory on like certain policy, am I gonna be like happy and be like heck yeah, like this is awesome? But I'm not. This is not gonna like impact my you know my state of being for the future Mm -hmm. it's just a temporary thing and i think that's what we look for is we look for like these temporary sources of happiness just constantly it's i would say it's kind of like a it's like a cycle of dependency we're looking for like you know victories where we're you know owning the libs and making everyone you know making america great again and i and i i would i'd have to agree with you on the sense that um you know i think cynicism in, in in this um game is I'd say it's natural. It's warranted. I mean, you should obviously be wary of giving people a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hero worshipping them as some are apt to do is not going to make you happy. It's just, honestly, it's going to show you the reality of who they are. And the more you deny it when they leave, when they're gone, you're going to think, wow, that was terrible. Mm-hmm. Was I truly happy during that period where, you know, we were making great progress in your eyes? I just... I think we have lost the meaning of like what true happiness and like our incredible ability to find that, to have that pursuit for have the independence and liberty to find it for ourselves, not have someone tell us how we can live. Um, I think that's one of the greatest promises that we as Americans have sort of kind of slipped away from. And as long as the conditions are such that you are able to pursue happiness, I mean, I think that's why, you know, the Civil Rights Act started because, or the civil rights movement rather started, because there was a large portion of our country that was living in humiliation because they were unable by law to pursue happiness. When that went away, when those laws went away, uh, that's when you can start experiencing the American dream. But, I mean, Tucker is absolutely right in the sense that, or, well... I think Tucker understands at least that uh, that things that come from that, you know, like whatever your your forty acres and a mule or your social security or whatever, is not going to make you happy, and it's definitely not going to fulfill you. I think the thing, so like Jay Thompson and I were talking about this before you got here, Boris, but we were talking about how Tucker attributes these problems that we all agree on. We would we would all agree with Tucker. Democrats might even agree with Tucker, some. Um, But he attributes them to problems, namely economic problems that politicians can fix. Mm -hmm. Whereas we would attribute them to a cultural movement that individuals can fix Mm -hmm. in their own lives. And that that is one of the points that he made is we are... And he said that we were sort of miserable because of stagnation and... uh, you know, materialism, shiny things is a term that he used. And I don't know, and this is again when I get into semantics about happiness, but I think that some people actually can stare at their iPhones all day and act like a jerk to their friends 
and eat like a glutton and call it a good day. Definitely. So that's what makes me think that the problem is much deeper than who we elected. Well, that's why I know that it's much deeper mm. than who we elected. It's it's a cultural problem, and and he talks about the collapse of the American family, and I'm so glad that there's somebody with a platform as big as Tucker Carlson who's talking about it, because I don't think anybody's talking about mm. it. Um, this would be a good time for you to plug the piece that you wrote for us in the magazine. I mean, you you uh, you touched on that. I mean, what did you say about uh, about families that um, stay together? I can't remember the exact numbers. While you guys are talking, I can find the article and read it. I actually wrote a research paper on it, too. Um, but just how drastically, since the 1960s specifically, um, that the traditional family unit has decreased, which I'm sure you all know. Um, but the numbers are really, really staggering. I think the, the percentage of children today who grow up in um, married households with their two biological parents is under 50%. I think it's, I can't remember the exact number, it's, but it's definitely under 50%. And then there are, of course, disparities between the races, which existed prior to the decline in the family unit overall, and just were exacerbated by the cultural shift. Um and I also said this to Jay Thomas before he got here, but um, there was, I think, I think it was even somebody who wrote at the Brookings, Brookings Institute who is no, she might be conservative leaning, I can't remember, but um, Brookings is certainly <laughs> not. Um, so she said that the problems cannot, the, the, pro, the problems in culture, um, the shift, the decline in um in traditional family unit, the increases in divorce, the increases in out-of-wedlock births cannot solely be um, attributed to economics because if you look at times when there were hard times economically, specifically the height of the Great Depression, mm -hmm. um, there, there was no market decrease in that family unit. So it can't be attributed to that. It's attributed to, um, it's attributed to a cultural shift. That piece was called The Greatest Privilege. You mm -hmm. can find it on the Arch Conservative website. It's also in the magazine. Pick up a pick up a, co a copy. Just please don't steal them. Um, um, you can steal it. You can, you can steal, steal it. one. Just don't steal all of <laughs> them. Don't steal the box. Just don't steal, steal all of them. them. Yeah. I check the trash cans every night. We're still <laughs> looking for that box in the main library. If you're out there and you stole it, we would like it back. That thing's um, Although we will laugh if you have it. We will laugh if you have it. We'll also beat you up. But anyways... Um, back to what we were just talking about, I think there are, it's possible that there are some economic problems that are hurting what we would call the traditional American family, but it's reckless to attribute it just to that. I, I'm totally agree with you that there's been a cultural shift, like the single motherhood rate has increased drastically out of wedlock births, you know, the rise of the just the casual hookup Tinder culture. Mm -hmm. I think this all attributes to that where everyone treats, you know, this thing that we... You know, I mean, at least from my family, like the family is sacred, and like and in, in, in my immediate family, like we do everything together. It's like a, it's a bond that like you know transcends a lot of things. But it really is a privilege. It's, like it's, it's like an incredible said. privilege it's, for it's, me that like it's not, and it's not because you're you're white or whatever you are, Boris. But it's 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 because it's so rare. It's, it's, be, it's because I think it is becoming increasingly rare. I mean. I mean, obviously, from, like, where I grew up, like, the, the big family is the norm, but that's not the same across this country. I mean, this country is so diverse and has diverse experiences, but I think the one thing that kind of ties everyone together is the love of family. I mean, I know part of my family is Hispanic, and just th to, to them, family is literally everything. Mm -hmm. um, like, 
I have an incredible privilege of being able to, you know, if I've had a terrible day, I can call my mom and go, you know what? I had a terrible day. But if, you know, if, if I'm in a bad mood and I don't want to talk to her, I can call my dad. Like <laughs> I had that. Not a lot of people have that privilege, that ability. And I think that's one of the greatest things that we're just looking over and that we've created this culture of like hooking up and, you know, just going out and finding like just casual fun. I mean, I like to go have a good time, but I also realize that you know, the value of a family and a child is one of the greatest gifts that we've ever been given um, as, as humans. And I don't think that we are talking about it enough. And I am glad that you brought up that Tucker brought it up in his platform, because I think it's something we need to talk about. Obviously, people will decry it as, you know, well, you're being anti XYZ. I mean, I, that's that's great. But they would cite you as being anti-female if you bring up being the, the fact that, uh, you know, the sexual revolution, for example, uh, it certainly expanded the sense of purpose for uh, for girls. That was a quote I borrowed from, and I can't think of his name, but it's in a piece I wrote last year uh, about some problems among men and boys. But um, it, it expanded the, the sense of purpose for females, and it didn't really do much for males. And, you know, you well, I might even disagree with that. Because I because I don't think, well it depends on how you it, define the purpose, sense of purpose because I don't think purpose is found in doing whatever you want whenever you want I think purpose is found in duty sure but you know I think that I think that there are have been women who have been certainly prepared and and, and competently able to do things outside of the household mm-hmm. who before the uh, 1960s in the United States were not able to do that mm-hmm. so I think that that's the positive that you take away. But I have been I, thinking about that a little I lately. Think, Maybe we can hold, do a whole different podcast. We this, we sure we should. But I, I, and and I would argue that the that the negatives uh, totally outweigh that I agree. positive. That's the thing. I think there may have may may have been. I so I can say this as someone who used to be like a radical feminist. So I am not saying this as someone who has never considered feminism as a thought of feminism mm-hmm. as a good thing. I now have come to the conclusion that feminism is a vile, trash ideology that has done far more harm than good. And the reason the reason I've fully come to that conclusion nowadays is because I basically have come to the conclusion that the liberation of women in the West was not due to a bunch of feminists walking around in in their bras in the 1960s proclaiming sexual freedom. It was a technological revolution mm. and technological innovation that allowed them physically to get out of the house mm-hmm. and biologically to get out of the house. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, this is probably a topic a for another topic. day, <laughs> it might be um, a little bit. Yes. but it's not, but I mean, it's something that they haven't figured out in a lot of places in the world. Um, but, you know, more back to the point, I think something that, that Tucker says is that, that, uh, Wages are stagnant, and especially for men. And one of the things is one of the contributing factors uh, would be that men are not making as much money, and therefore are less desirable uh, from women. Um, and you know, whether you think that this is a you know how should it be argument, I would say you know that well, actually, no, I wouldn't. Women like to marry men with mo- with money and who make more money than them. Uh, that's statistically the case. You could argue that it shouldn't be like that, but it 
is right now, and that's one that is one point that Tucker makes that is an economic cause uh, to the family problem. Um, that might be minor, though. <laughs> yeah, it might. I think it, and I think it is minor, and I think that going back to the to the grander topic of this podcast, which is you know, can conservative politics be more uh, positive? I guess it, it is hard to do that when you used to campaign uh, on the success of the nuclear family. You can still do that, but you also have to say, "Hey, remember, you know how you know how healthy the family was back then." But I think I think it goes farther than that. I think the the whole essence is the whole f- essence of "Make America Great Again" implies that America was. Uh, is no longer great, and I think it is, and I think that a lot of the reason for that, uh, as I shift gears a little bit, a lot of the reason for that is because of conservative politics, and because conservatives uh, led the charge and won the Cold War, and um, I think that, you know, (laughs) most of the responses to the technicalities of Make America Great Again were America was never great, which is really... It's really good when that's your campaign platform uh, and you're not on my side. Uh, but I would contend that America is great, and it is harder to rile people up when you're telling them that. Um, I was talking to Reed earlier about immigration, for example, and I don't think anyone disputes that immigration is a problem that faces our country. But if you listen to President Trump as he talks about it, and Tucker Carlson, you would think that a Cat five hurricane containing a, uh, a, a an army of vandals is coming to sack Rome and New Orleans at the same time. Uh, when really it's a it's a migrant crisis, and it has economic implications, and it's a, a problem that has to do with rule of law. But it's not destroying our way of life, and I think that that's what. A lot of Republicans want us to believe, and I don't. I'm not buying it. I think that you can easily campaign on the fact that yes, this is a problem, and we need to solve the problem. We need to have more uh, effective laws on the border to stop this. But what they've resorted to is this: we're at DEFCON two with these people, and we're really not. They showed up and they throw the caravan. The caravan sounded like the 501st Legion of Imperial Stormtroopers coming to the Echo Base Shield Generator uh, to capture the princess and turn Luke Skywalker to the dark side. That's great. They <laughs> showed great. up and threw some rocks, and we hit them with some tear gas, and then the election season came around and we forgot about them. That's what happened. And I think that the... I kind of lost my train of thought when I made the Star Wars analogy, but... <laughs> I think I've pretty much made my point that we can leave the sensationalism and the fear-mongering to the left and we can campaign on the problems that we have and, and solving those problems, but at the same time recognizing that what we've done in the past, even what our party has done in the past, uh, which I'm not a registered Republican, but I identify more with the Republicans, uh, than the Democrats has worked and has made our country more wealthy. It's made our country more happy, and it's made our country stronger. I have to agree with you. Um, did you have something to read? 
I might have interrupted. Um, I was telling Jay Thomas before, also. Uh, before I showed up. Yeah, no, so it's becoming a theme. Late. I was late, wasn't I? Yeah, um, was a little bit. <laughs> about how, yeah, there there is a problem. And I think with the throwing stones thing, like, it's hard to minimize that. Like, yeah, it's not that big of a problem, but that does kill some people sometimes on the border. So that, like, to take those instances seriously, but not blow them out of proportion. Like, mm-hmm. say, yeah, throwing rocks, it's not throwing pebbles, like, it can, it has the power to kill well, people. It's not. It's not. Good. I think you're getting too hung up on the rocks part. Okay. Okay. You're right. <laughs> but um, but saying yes, here's a problem. But I was saying, like I was saying to you, the the stronger message and the one that I think actually could put a stop to the government shutdown and actually get funding is if you put the pressure on Democrats by saying, hey, this is, if Trump just said, this is not about me. This is not a political move. This is just me trying to get something done that politicians have promised the American people and the American people have voted for for decades and decades and nobody has gotten done. So let's just do it. Democrats are trying to block it. Let's do it. He would never do that. And I'll tell you how I know that. Because the Republican response is the grandest of gestures. It's a wall. It's something tangible. You know, whether or not it works, there are things that are probably would work better than a wall. E-Verify is my favorite. I think that's a way that we can very easily uh, curb illegal immigration because most illegal immigrants living in the United States didn't cross the border illegally. They crossed it legally and overstayed their visas. Using E-Verify would prevent that. A wall would not. Uh, even most of the drugs don't come over where a wall would be. They come via roadways that are already there. But what gives me hope is how asinine the Democratic platform is on this. Theirs is not even coherent. Now, some people on the radical left uh, believe that we should have open borders. That is a better policy than what the mainstream Democratic Party wants. And I'll tell you why. Because that at least makes sense. I think it's stupid, and I think it's it would be bad for all parties involved. But it at least makes sense that the concept of borders should be erased. Um, but what the Democrats actually say is that we don't want open borders. We think that border laws should be enforced. But then they turn around and say, we have a problem with the way that border policy is enforced. And then they say, and, and therefore we shouldn't enforce it. No, well, yeah, they say, well, no, they keep saying that we should enforce the law when we say you just want open, we'll say something like, well, what do you want, open borders? They're like, no, we should enforce the wall, but we shouldn't be detaining these people and separating families. And, well, this person died because his mother brought him over and he had a heart condition and things, you know, things like that. They what it looks like is probably not what it is. What it looks like is that they want to enforce the border laws but don't have the stomach to enforce the border laws. They don't want to get their hands dirty at all, which is a necessary thing. If you voted, which the nation overwhelmingly did to keep to keep our border you know, active uh, and working and a border uh, – but they're not willing to enforce it, which leads me to believe that they're highlighting these things like, you know, child separation and uh, detainees because they don't want Donald Trump to, to 
to score a political victory with the wall, which I think I I don't care about the wall. Um, Admittedly, I don't care about it. If it goes up, I I won't feel any different than I would if it never got built at all. But I would rather that happen than the status quo happen where, you you know, like it their their policy doesn't even make any sense. I'm going to kind of jump in on this from uh, my end of view. Um, I agree with you in that the Democratic policy is incoherent. It's probably a political play to try and get the Republican Party to stumble, which it seems like it has, and that Trump is being very, very childlike on his uh, wall thing, um, at least from my point of view. I think uh, the shutdown is not very necess- not necessary in the sense that you don't have to hold the entire government hostage for the wall. Um Kind of getting back to the original point, you know, can we make the conservative movement kind of, you know, a happier movie? Can we still be, you know, that party of the past, uh, the party of Reagan? I think, you know, we've admittedly lost our way a little bit. I think we've kind of pushed a little too far on some policies and kind of made a industry out of the sensationalist uh, tendencies of the president. Um, and I really hope that's not going to be continued to be repeated. I mean, we're starting to see it even more in the left now. I mean, I would argue that Mrs. Ocasio-Cortez is now the left's Trump, um, <laughs> except she act, except she's pretty uh, she's pretty good at the Twitter thing. Well, I think she's actually principled. I think that's the I I certainly like Donald Trump more than Ocasio Cortez, but I think that Ocasio Cortez is it's like the scene from The Big Lebowski when. Uh, John Goodman thinks that the nihilists are Nazis, and when he finds out that they're nihilists, he gets even madder because at least National Socialism is an ideology. Mm-hmm. At least she follows an ideology. <laughs> I think Donald Trump just does what yeah, Donald Trump he just wants. Does what he wants. I don't think he's educated enough to, mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would still, <laughs> I would I rather mean, him and, be president. Yeah. But I mean, and I can't, I can't. I mean, obviously, her Twitter feed is like you know. Sometimes it's me. It's like edgy millennial things, like you know, owning old white men. I mean, great. That's a that's a great career. Sitting here owning old white men from your from your congressional office. New party. Who does? Uh, um, but I think the Democrat. We need, from my point of view, from a, from a strategy point of view, the Republicans need to. I think they need to give up the wall. It's too much money. Economically, not sound. Um, Immigrants are necessary for the workforce. Um, this is just an ec- this is an economic fact. Um, but I think I agree with you in the E-Verify program. I mean, the way that Trump phrased it, it was you know it was like you know we are the you know we're we're trying to hold the line. We're trying to hold like you know we're trying to hold the line at the Battle of Bulge and like you know everyone's coming to destroy us. No, that's not the case. I mean. It's his response to his response blew his, it out of proportion. His response to e-verify and improving border laws has always been wall. So luke, yeah, exactly. It's been so lukewarm. But then he'll turn around and talk about the big, you know, big beautiful wall, and you know he'll go on forever about that. Mm-hmm. But, well, I support the wall, but I just yes, I, I was hoping you would, but I, because I don't give a crap. I Boris is anti really care. Give us the case for the wall, Reed. Um, in that it is the only permanent solution. Um, solution like if you if you look at just like putting more border agents along mm-hmm. the wall, that's something that can easily be reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a wall is permanent; it's not going anywhere. Um, but I don't I don't think it, I don't think that's going to solve all the problems. So like you said, like like you were saying, most illegal immigration mm-hmm. is overstayed visas. Um, but that being said, the, those are not ones probably. I, I don't know the statistics on that, but I'm wondering if those are those probably aren't the 
criminal, aside from illegally overstaying visas, those aren't like the dangerous criminal. Mm-hmm. Well, no. I, I don't know. Usually I don't know the, the statistics on that. But, um, and for the sake of just ordinary people who live along, along the border, um, the parts that have um, fencing even, um, see a lot less violence in their communities, in American communities. Shima Costa figured that out, much to his chagrin. Yes, he did. That was the best, yes, that was the best cell phone he of did. last week. Um, <laughs> yeah, just for the sake of those individuals, because they are Americans and they deserve to be protected, and the fact that it's it's really not it's it's expensive, but inter- it's not it's a long term solution. Mm-hmm. So it's a one time payment. Mm-hmm. I agree. I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. That is a solution. I just think, you know, sometimes the, I don't think it's the, the, sole solution. the rhetoric is asinine beyond it. It's like, I think you know, I think there's no doubt like, that the rhetoric is asinine. And I think another thing would be cost benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I forbid I, there's an economist. Who's if, that. if we're going to, if, if we're going to spend billions of dollars to curb in, immigration by 2%, you know, I, that, might not be what it ends up being, but the, mm-hmm. in that hypothetical mm-hmm. situation, I would be with you. I would be totally against the wall. But um, I think we've talked for about as long as we can, at least on those depressing things. So in the last few minutes, uh, we can uh, become the party of the happy warrior and uh, talk about Wendy's and McDonald's. Um, what did you guys think about the supersized uh, national championship uh Supper that uh, that the that the Donald served the Clemson Tigers last week or the earlier you know, this week. I thought that was absolutely amazing. I just wish it was the Georgia Bulldogs who were there. Yeah, I wish it was there yeah. too. But, uh, but that is not going to happen. That, well, that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> um, happen thanks to Jalen Hurts, who's going to the University of Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, funny enough, Lincoln Riley told the incoming quarterback, he's like, oh, we don't have to worry about any transfer quarterbacks. <laughs> Enter Jalen Hurts. Um, I when I saw that I was like I just thought ain't that America I was like <laughs> you know what this is the only country in the world where we can just be like you know what you are the best football team in the nation here's some McDonald's like what anywhere else like, what did we expect yeah what do we I mean obviously the government <laughs> shut down what what did you like honestly Trump they, was, they loved it they Trump, definitely Trump loved was that McDonald's. okay what this college? that you're right there's the, no the way people, they didn't love that the people one of the guys told me they'd prefer like foie gras or something one of the guys one of the foie guys gras. one of the guys yeah. from Clemson said that uh said you know I don't understand why Trump is getting so much flag for this everybody on the team loved it you know it was great if I was the president I would have probably <laughs> There's a lot of good food in D.C. A lot of those places cater. That's true. Uh, but That's Trump old. did foot the bill, so I don't blame him for only spending, what do you think, $600 probably? I mean, how much? I mean, yeah. There was quite a spread of food there. Let's, there say that, let's say there were it was probably a couple three or 400 burgers that, that are $3 each. That's, I don't think he spent over $1,000. And the biggest mistake he made was not getting Chick-fil-A. I know there are two in D.C. There I know no that Chick-fil-A? for a fact. Come there on, are, there Trump, are no Chick Fil A in DC. There was one in the building there. There was one that at the building I stayed at. Yeah, there, there are, there are Chick Fil A. There's a Chick Fil A. I'm pretty sure it's New Jersey Independence. I know that because uh-huh. when the majority leader is majority leader, he loves Chick Fil A. There's <laughs> one in Bakersfield, California, and he loves it. So, Mr. President could have done that. I think. Come but on. I just think that Do was. Better. I think it was. I, I I found it hilarious. Everyone's you know <laughs> shredding and for doing like fat analysis. I bought a stack of burgers a thousand. Oh yeah. People. That's what he does. He exaggerates. You know what? You know what my first thought was. I I thought it was hilarious. You know what my first thought was when I saw that? I was like, damn, I really want some McDonald's right now. Yeah. I re- like I did. I had a Big Mac it's attack. It's a great marketing. That. It's a great marketing <laughs> point. I mean, what college kid is not gonna go? 
Hell yeah, can you McDonald's. Donald can Trump you, is colluding with McDonald's. Can you imagine if he had gotten Chick-fil-A? I, the uh, rage. Oh, the the South would have cr- the South would have like cried tears of joy. And, like everyone else would have been like, that would have you like that would have been out? the rise again. We would have done it right then. Chick Fil A in the White House, Chick-fil-A with Lincoln with staring at us, Lincoln in the background. It's like he got us last time. But we've look, come back look what's, come back look what's for dinner. Look what's for dinner, Mr. President. Chick-fil-A. I don't know. I think you know. There's reason for there's reason for chagrin in the fact that you know ugh, the government shut that happen. You know, obviously though. I'm not going to sit there and want to sit through a five-course meal. I mean, it drives me up a wall having to sit and talk, you know, work for three hours. I'd have rather been, like, hanging out with my friends, eating, you know, eating eating a Big Mac in the White House. I was like, dang, in the White House. Sounds like a good one. I probably would never say anything good about Donald Trump if I never read Washington Post and never watched CNN. I just think Because, I mean, really, my initial reaction besides that's a good-looking whopper and that's really stupid – like, that was it. And then everybody was talking about how this is the next, you know, like, we got we got Whoppergate now. And <laughs> well, that right there and explains and now I'm the like, entire super size me, Mr. phenomenon. President. It is, he, like, he's a reactionary president. He's, he's a, rea- a reactionary presidency. It's to the left. It's the entire, like, every time the left says something negative, I'm like, oh, I like him a little bit more. I think that's just And that was what, just, that's how he became president. Yeah, that, you're right. That is how. I think, I think that's just what he wanted for dinner that night. Natural. And he's, I think he. I think at about five o'clock in the afternoon, he went up to, uh, he went up to one of his aides and said, "You know, I could really go for some Wendy's tonight." And they said, "Sir, Clemson's coming. The uh, Clemson Tigers are coming uh, to the White House tonight." And he said, "Well, pick pick some up for them too." I think that's how <laughs> it went. We can use the night. We can use the nice china. <laughs> that's probably how it went. Oh no, I think there's reason for a little, a bit of a bit of laughter and you know times of. Some of us might not like, or if you're having a rough time, you can. Everyone can at least be like, it's all great like President food. McDonald's, America. Like that's America personified. Obviously, it's not the America we want. You know, if everything, oh, all Americans are fat people, but like, who doesn't love a Big Mac? Like, I mean, obviously, if you're like you're like one of those health freaks, but still, I, I think, I think that's just something happy, happy go lucky that the president has done recently. That yeah, you know, he makes a lot of mistakes, way too many mistakes. I think. But I think that was just, like, funny. I think it was... I thought it was hilarious. You know, I had a good laugh with my roommates about it. Like, it's that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, politics isn't a joke, but... It was funny. Well, I stopped overanalyzing. Standing behind the yeah. table, like, like the yeah, set, the yeah. spread. <laughs> Look at all this American greatness yeah. right here. Other uh, other trivial things. Uh, we talk, We mentioned the, uh, the Gillette ad... About toxic masculinity and PETA's follow-up about oh gosh. yeah yeah. If you haven't looked at that, don't don't. Um, Did you guys want to say anything about that? I mean, I will just say about the ad. I had not seen it all day. The Gillette ad. Uh, I had not seen it all day, but I had seen people posting about it and outraged and it's awful and it's just saying that all men are bad. And then I saw some people, some leftist people who I'm Facebook friends with praising it so i was like oh no it's gonna be awful and then when i was watching it i was like am i watching the correct ad because i don't see what i mean it's it's obviously left-leaning it's mm-hmm. obviously a little annoying and the fact that they pay, play the the young turks woman whatever her name is Anna they, Gasper. Yeah, yeah. i didn't even notice her she, <laughs> she, she came on first that's why i noticed her and i was like of course they use her and then you know use some other leftist speaking. Plays in the background. um <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, it was like, it's obviously left leaning, but I don't, I don't think there's the message is actually wrong unless you're saying this only applies to men and not to women. But of course other like good men should, that's, that's the conservative message when it comes to manhood that, mm-hmm. that good men stop bad men. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see the problem with it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I, Gillette sent me a razor for my 18th birthday. I still use it. I mean, I'm still going to use it. It's a razor. I mean, it's people are like, Posting pictures and flushing their razors in the toilet. Well, one, you're either going to destroy your toilet, or B, you're going to put your hand in the toilet when you clog it with a razor. That's a good point. That's just like you're overreacting. It's a razor. Companies are going to virtue signal. That's just the times. They virtue signal. They still do this. They're going to do it for the rest of the time. Do you have to? Do you have to boycott them? Go ahead if you want. I mean, it's a razor. How many razors are you buying a year? Like I, I buy a couple blades for a year. That's it. Like that's not like. You know, I think the some of the right is like blowing it out of proportion, and the left is sitting here making fun of us, like, "Oh my gosh, it's destroying us!" Because we're just reacting to it in yeah. such a strong way. I, I, I'm more confused about it than anything. Because I was baffled when it came out. Because, I was like, "Gillette, really?" Because 99% of Gillette's customer base is men, and you know, I certainly didn't have any problem with the with the heroic message of you know wow men really should should be better you know but the commercial portrayed a bunch of men you know being scumbags which you know again i i'm I, i'm really glad that these things don't make me so angry but obviously some people obviously they knew that that a lot of people would react negatively to it so what do you what do you gain? Like what do you gain from appealing to the social justice left in, in purely with selling your product? No such thing as bad publicity. I don't know. I don't know. If you're I, don't know. I don't know I if it's if, if I, some I really of the don't know. if some of the publicity is is boycotting. I mean, I guess their logic is 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 you know soy fed hipsters have beards you know and they'll need and they need to trim them or something. I I don't know. I always thought Dollar Shave Club was way cooler anyway. Aries is pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, do we want to say anything about the PETA ad? It's okay. If no, you I, would, I, would, I, would, I would rather I would, not. Just, just go just look at it for yourself. Don't do that, actually. I was very pleased when I saw the PETA ad because it, it, it confirmed to me that we are only a few... Uh, a few more things like that away from uh, from from Jesus Christ uh, coming back and uh, and, 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 and informing, <laughs> informing his second kingdom on earth. Uh, so so thank you, Peta, for for uh, accelerating the rapture just a little bit. It's like smoking a cigarette. You know, they say it takes like 12 minutes off your life. Like I think this does. took 12 minutes off of uh, the Earth's impending existence. rapture. Yeah, exactly. It's like in The Princess Bride where they have that torture machine that takes off a, a year of your life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> yes. I think that's that actually the more accurate is. thing. It will yes. take a year. Uh, all right, well, we've had a very long podcast, uh, relatively speaking, and hopefully we can do these pretty frequently. Uh, we've already come up with some subject matter that we can hopefully talk about uh hopefully we'll have uh, some contributors on soon but thank you to uh reed and boris uh for joining me uh tonight uh it is currently uh the 16th of january i'll try to post this tomorrow on the 17th but uh until next time we thank you for listening all the way through and uh we wish you a happy newish year uh see you next time